Well, I invite you to keep your Bible open to Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. And in this message series where we're talking about strategies for spiritual winning, I want to talk to you today about being alert to the progression of temptation. Now, I'm looking at a bunch of people here that are living in victory. I'm looking at a bunch of people here who choose Christ, choose Him every day, choose Him moment by moment. Many of you have chosen Him long before we ever met. You continue to follow Him closely even since we've met. And if I were to drop dead or you were to leave, you would still follow Jesus. If I was to not be here, I would still follow Jesus. Those things would happen. We have that kind of resolve and that kind of commitment to Him. But I do know that Satan is very subtle, and I do know that he is very sly, and I do know that he is very slick. Now, many people living today do not believe there is the possibility of evil in this way. They're not even sure that there is evil. In my preaching as a whole, I don't like to give airtime, pulpit time to the devil. I don't like to do it because it seems like we're honoring what he's doing. I hate it. But we do have to be aware of what he's doing, right? We do need to be aware of what he is doing and the things that he is up to and how he operates so we'll be able to navigate in victory. So I want you to understand that I'm not coming from this at a standpoint that I think everybody that I'm preaching to is a loser or everybody that I'm preaching to is some kind of a, you know, way off uh, dark closet sinner somehow. I don't feel that way about it. But I'm lifting up the passage today and talking about this idea of temptation. Now, you know about the uh, school in Oregon, the junior high girls that discovered lipstick. You know that? And they were going in the bathroom and kissing the mirrors. You know that, right? And they were putting their lip imprints on that. And the principal realized it was a problem. The custodian complained. And so the custodian and the principal went into the ladies' restroom, had all the girls come into the restroom, and they said, we have a problem. It's, it's really making it hard for our custodian to clean this mirror with all the lipstick you're doing. He has to work so hard. And he's going to show you how much time and how he has to clean these, these uh, lips off of here. And so he took his squeegee and dipped it in the toilet, and then he began to wipe on the mirror. Now, as he did that, the girls got the message. They didn't have any more problem with lipstick on the mirrors. Now, if we knew what was behind that, that kiss with sin, if we knew what was behind that, I believe we too, like those girls, would realize that is gross and we don't want that. It's only going to bring harm. It's not going to bring joy to us. It's a false advertisement, right? It's something that will ask us to do something that eventually is going to prop, give us a problem. So I want us to look at this passage, and I'm inviting you to take notes. There's an outline in your, in your bulletin there. You can take notes, at least mentally do this, and, and follow along and see the five progressions that we're going to talk about today. Now, you could parse this out different ways, but we're going to let five verbs talk to us, and they're going to tell us the journey, the action that takes place in this whole situation. And there's many more and much more, but we're going to only have a while to talk about it. So the first thing I want us to look at is verses 1 through 5, where Eve listened. Notice the word is given here, said. That's where the verb is. So we want to see what was said. We want to consider what is going on here. There's a thought that is presented to Eve's mind. You and I cannot help what we think. We cannot help the thoughts that go through our head, that come into our mind. You may have someone cut you off at an intersection. You may have an immediate response that would cause you to be 
like, what'd you do that for? You cannot help the thought that goes through your mind. You may hit your thumb with a hammer while you're holding the nail. You may have a thought go through your mind. You cannot help the thought that comes into your mind. But it's what do we do with those thoughts that come into our mind? In other words, what is the action that we participate in after that? This is what I have found about Satan. If I entertain that thought long enough, he'll give me another thought and another thought and another thought. In other words, he adds snowflakes to that, or if you will, he adds a buffet of thoughts. And when he adds this buffet of thoughts to whatever's going on, then pretty soon he is hitting me with just this avalanche of torrent of thoughts about what to do, what could be, how I could do it, how it would make everything just more interesting and more fun, and it would be some kind of a win. Does he ever do that to you? He's done that to everybody I know that lives an intense and intentional spiritual life. Some of the most devout Christians I have met talk to me about some of the deepest spiritual warfare that they've gone through, and I understand something about that. It's only when we consent to something that would be off the wall that we have a problem. My friend, Tim, he used to, uh, he used to curse uh, just pretty much when something would happen. His automatic response was, thought through the mind, right out the mouth. And uh, he would curse whenever he would do something. He said, I knew God was really working in my life when one day at work I hit my head on this cabinet and I didn't curse. He said, I'd been praying to God and I've been saying, God, help me <clears throat> not to have that just be my first response. I'm following you. I want to walk with you with an intentionality. I want my testimony to be right with others. I want my heart to be at ease. I don't want to feel bad about what I've done later. So help me in my moment. So some of you may have that problem. Some of you may have other problems, situations that are happening. You just say, God, I want you to help me with this because what I'm doing is I'm having all this kind of problem and I don't know where to go with it. So would you help me with this? So Satan brings thoughts to Eve. He continues to build the avalanche. Let's look at it. Verse 1 and then uh, 4 through 6. Satan mixes God's truth. Listen to this. He mixes God's truth with error every time. That's how he creates a cult. That's how he creates a false religion. But that's also how he creates a lie that is presented to us in our heart and in our mind. The Bible calls him several things. Not only Satan, not only the devil but it also calls him an angel of light. Last week, we recognized that he comes like a lion. The scripture also says he is, listen to this, he is the father of lies. I had a guy sit with me one day and he said, I cannot stop lying. He was a guy in his 60s. He said, I cannot stop lying. And he meant it and he was tears running down his face. And I knew he wasn't lying about that. He said, I can't quit lying. Well, you know who the father of lies is? says right here. He's also a deceiver of the faithful. That's why we point this out. He also creates schemes. He's a schemer, and this is the way he rolls. So he twists God's word. Look what he does here. God has said, you can eat of all the trees. Oh, there's one here in the garden. You cannot eat of that tree, but all of the rest you can eat from. And so Satan comes and says, did God say you're not supposed to eat of the trees and that one over there? Well, look at verse 4. You're not going to die. You're not going to die. It's going to be okay. Here's why he said that, verse 5. Look at it. You'll be like other gods. In other words, God is just trying to pull a slick one on you. God's pulling a fast one on you. He knows that if you, he knows that if you look and you eat and you'll do all of this, you're just going to become like other gods. So Eve listened to what was going on. And then I noticed something else. Eve looked. 
Look at verse 6. We get the verb saw. So she looked. She looked at what was going on right here. She saw that the tree was good for fruit. God did not say, don't look at that tree. He didn't tell them that. He also didn't say they could not touch that tree. He didn't say that. He told them, don't eat of that tree. Don't eat of that tree. And so she begins to rationalize. Well, there is fruit on that tree too. And it looks very good in verse 6. You can just hear her mind going through all of this. And she allows herself to go to the brink of the temptation as Satan has tempted her for the big reason of trying to get her to go against God. Now, the fact of the matter is, God loves you, and he cares about you, and Satan hates that. You're God's child. When Satan looks at you, he sees God's likeness in you. You're called a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You're called a child of God. You've been adopted into his family. The scripture calls us many things. Born again, as he talked to Nicodemus. So Satan sees that and knows that about you. Whenever he would come against you, he sees all of this kind of stuff. So he sees the image of God. He also sees that he has been ripped off from you. He sees that you used to be a servant of his. You used to be a slave of his, but you have been bought with the price of Christ's blood. And he doesn't like that. You're not serving his purposes anymore. And he's very much against that. And so Eve is looking at this, and at this point, she seems to only have the glasses on that say, this is a good thing to do, might as well do this. And isn't it something how you can tell little kids, uh, you know what, you can have all of this, but you can't have this, and they seem to go for this more than all the other things. But this is the garden, and these are big people, and they're going for this, just like kids would go for this, whatever this is, right? It's just absolutely unbelievable. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 5, Eugene Peterson writing in the message says it this way of the Bible passage here. We use our powerful God tools for smashing warped philosophies, tearing down barriers erected against the truth of God, fitting every loose thought and emotion and impulse into the structure of life shaped by Christ. And most of us have that pretty well memorized by another, you know, the King James or NIV or something else. So it does a refresher sometimes to take it when it's outside the box. It's like it is said here. It's talking about bringing every thought captive as we as people have been in the church a long time would understand that. So we're bringing every thought captive. And this is what Eve doesn't do at this point. She doesn't do it. She goes ahead and takes one thought, another thought, another thought, and she takes them. So let's look at the third of these five steps here. Verse 6. Eve took. Look at that verb, took. She goes ahead and she, she grabs that fruit and she pulls it off, and now she has taken that fruit. And this is where the temptation has gained incredible momentum. She's being pushed over as if she's riding now in the tidal wave of a waterfall. And she is headed toward the edge and about to go in. This is when it's going really bad. She says to Adam, Adam, you might as well do this. Adam says, well, I'm going to join you. It's almost as if he says, God's going to have to deal with both of us then. We're both going to have this knowledge. If you're going to do it, I'm going to do it. We're going to do it. We've done everything together so far. We're going to do that. And so he partakes of the fruit. And I'm not going to talk about it today, but isn't it something how he blamed Eve? Isn't it something how he blamed Eve by verse 12? We almost always blame something or someone else when we get caught in our sin, don't we? You look at the murder shows on TV. 
Well, I, I didn't really do it. I just had my finger on the trigger and the trigger blew. But I didn't shoot that. I didn't even know I shot that guy. I just shot up in the air and it just hit that guy. No. Craziness. Craziness. And they both take this bite. Can you imagine that first chew, whatever that bite was? I don't know what it was. Picture shows an apple, but I don't know what it was. Doesn't say. You ever think of that? Doesn't say. It was just what they weren't supposed to do, right? So we can put anything in there. And they eat that, and at first swallow. Can you imagine the juices in their mouth or the, or the lack of juices from that? You ever think of that? Their imagination of what would be versus their reality of what was did not match. Do you see? This is what's going to happen. We're going to have all this great knowledge. But the reality of it does not match that because now they are gravely disappointed. And the Scripture, it, it tells us this. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul says this. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through who? Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is powerful truth. And so this is what the Lord is wanting us to understand. In Berneveld, after World War II, there were some children who were playing with an artillery shell. Now, they had found it kind of buried over in a shed or somewhere, and they were playing with it. And this went on for several months. Now, this thing was from World War II. It had explosives in it, and nobody had been paying mind to it. Nobody had paid attention to it. And the kids on the playground are playing with it for several months. Finally, someone alerts the authorities, and they come and get it, and they take it to a remote place, and they detonate it, exploding it. That's really what happens to us when we, when we take on something that we think this will be good. You take somebody who is embezzling, skimming some money off of the top of whatever organization they're part of, they skim off, and it feels good. They can buy them a nice, uh, you know, furniture set. They can buy some nice toys of life, and pretty soon everything's going good. And then all of a sudden, somebody blows a whistle. <laughs> you ever heard of that? They blow that whistle. And when that whistle blows, you know what happened? The investigators come in and start backtracking over everything. They start looking at all the texts that have been sent. You know your texts are never really, really erased? You know that, right? You can erase them. They're in the sky. You know that on the clouds of pictures you take? They're never really erased. They're there. And, and they can go back in your computer and forensically they can do work on your computer and for the most part recreate everything you've done. Every link you've logged on to. Every one of them. It's like your life flashing before you. <laughs> there it is. Okay. So they can go back and find it. So you've, you've skimmed about 100,000 now. It became a way of life for you. But the company isn't happy about it. And you end up having the imagination and the reality be so different because the prison clothes and the prison cell is not nearly as comfortable as all of those things you bought with that $100,000. You see, it can be a problem for us. Wages of sin is death. So let's look at that fourth thing here that we see in this passage. Look in verse 7 and following, in the following verses. But you see the verb given here, opened. Adam and Eve lost. They lost. They clearly lost. Now, the Scripture says to us in verse 8 that they are able to meet with God, the presence of God in the garden. 
Presence literally translated means in this passage the face of God. So they were able to meet in the cool of the day with God and they were able to discover things about him, understand things about him that you would not have the clue about unless you were able to be in the august presence of God. Now that they have had this bite, they're hiding from God. Innocence is lost. Verse 7 says that. They begin to have the effects of sin on their life. Their innocence is lost. They realize their nakedness. And they realize what they need to do. They clothe themselves. In verse 16, the woman is going to have trouble whenever she gives birth. In humanity, everyone is going to have heavy work whenever we participate in any kind of a job. You know, work is a four-letter word, and it is a word that some people are scared of, but it is a word that before really didn't have as negative a connotation before the fall, before they ate, as it did afterwards. Because look what happens here. In verse 17, he says, you're going to toil now. That means without joy. So you're going to have to work. So your work is going to be with not a joy. In other words, you may like some of your work, and some people say, oh, I never went to work a day in my life. I liked what I did. It's not just talking about that. You still went to work. Your schedule was owned. Your life was dominated by the fact that you put in 40 years at the factory or wherever you went. You put it in. And so there it is. Verse 19, by the sweat of your brow, it's going to require energy for you to work. It's going to be that which happens. And notice that nature takes a beating because nature now is going to have thorns. Now, we like to take little wagon and tractor rides on our little tractor and pull around and do all that kind of funny stuff at our house. And the path that we go along sometimes has these branches that come out. And so this week, early in the week, I took my long stem and tight bill clippers, whatever they are, I took those and I went over to where all of the, the thorns are sticking out. And I thought, good grief, this would be a snap. I wouldn't even need this sheer clipper. I could have just bent these suckers down if it hadn't been for the thorns. Do you know that happens right here in the scripture? They were cursed and thorns were put on things in the field. So some of you are going to go hunting in the next few weeks. When you go out there, you're going to go through and you're going to want to make sure you have gear on that you can walk through all of the buck brush and all the other stuff that's out there because you're going to have the thorns that are going to be sticking you and messing you over, right? It's going to happen. Romans chapter 5 tells us that everybody from that time to this was born with a sin nature. So you don't have to teach a little child to, to lie. We had our grandkids over. Uh, you know, you just ask them a little question, and they know that they did what they shouldn't do, and so they start feeling all squimish and squirmy about it, and yeah, and they want to tell you, no, I didn't do that, and you know full well they did. You're trying to teach them the difference between right and wrong, right? And so that's what you're doing. Anybody ever heard of Sylvester Stallone? If you have, say yes. yes. I'll say it out loud. If you've heard of Sylvester Stallone, say yes. Yeah, you've heard of Sylvester Stallone. Sure you have. He was a kid who grew up in a Christian family, aware of God, aware of Christ. His family had gone to church. He went to Christian school. And he said after he got out of school, he faced what he called the real world. And when he faced the real world, he got into some things that were not good at all. He got distracted and bored 
And he said he lost, his family would lose, everybody was losing because of that. But when he came out and he started writing the movie for Rocky and started working with that whole process, he said it is his faith in Jesus Christ that started coming alive in his life and inspired him to even write like that. He says, I was raised the right way, but I was far as I could be from it. And he said, I wanted to change. His words, the more I go to church, the more I turn myself over to the process of believing in Christ and listening to his word and having him guide my hand. I find the reason for living. The more I go to church and turn myself over to him, he says. He says, you need to have the expertise and guidance of someone else. You cannot train yourself, he says. I feel the same way about Christianity and about the church. The church is the gym of the soul. And today you may save your own life that you've lost your way. We've had so many people come into our church over the last... 20 years that I've been here, and we've had so many people come in and say, Kevin, religion I've done. I've gone to church and held office after office. I've held title and position, but I have never opened my life to Jesus Christ as my Savior. You may have church membership here or anywhere. Your intention by that may mean you want rightness with God. I'm sure it does. But I ask you, have you confessed your sin to Christ? Have you opened your life to Him? Have you received Him as your personal Savior? That's the essence of it all. That's what we must do. And that's what all of us can do. And the good thing is that scripture we read just a little bit ago out of Romans chapter 6 and 23, it said the wages of sin is death. You're going to pay big. But the gift, did you notice that? The gift of God, free gift of God, is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's powerful. That's incredible. So look at that last thought I want to give you today, and that is that verb called out of verse 9. God comes into the garden at the cool of the day, and He calls out to them. God has taken initiative to go to where they are, and God has taken initiative to come to where you are and to where I am. He looks at our lives, no matter what we have done, no matter where we have been, no matter the things that we have done that might be coloring outside of line, and we say, God, I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to be that anymore. I want to come to you. I'm calling out on you, and I'm asking you and inviting you to come into my life. And as we do that, something begins to happen. The primary theme of the Bible from this point on is that God is reaching out to us. And so John 3.16 becomes one of the great billboards of life. Let's read it together. Are you ready? Let's read it together. Look at the screen everywhere at each campus, online. Let's look at it. Here we go. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's hard to imagine something new being introduced additionally in the garden, but something new was introduced. It was grace. It was mercy. It was hope. It was love. It was forgiveness. 
right there in this moment. Aren't you glad that God offered that to them? And the good news is, he offers that to you and me as well. It's so incredible. I praise God. If we weren't all half asleep in here, I would shout, hallelujah, real loud. Because that's how I feel about it. Because there have been some times whenever I've needed to go back to him and say, I need a do-over. I need to hit a U-turn here. I don't like the way this thing is progressing. I don't want this. I ask you to forgive me. Cleanse me now and come back into good graces and he forgives you. He sets you free. He justifies you just as if it had never happened. (laughs) He gives you new life, new hope, and he brings you back in the road. It's kind of like your wheels got off the road a little bit there and you're like, ah! He helps you get them back on. You're back between the white lines. You know what I'm saying? And when you know that feeling, you say, God, I've been on a detour long enough. Kind of like 248. We had that detour long enough, God. Open up that bridge. Hallelujah. Come on, Jesus. <laughs> Those of you that are watching from around the world, we had a bridge that was out for about how many months? About 20, 25 months. And they... <laughs> No, it was out a few, and they put it back together, and it's back like, and that's kind of what I'm talking about, in a way. I'm not criticizing the guys. There are probably reasons why that was. You ever heard of Andre Crouch? If you have, say yes. yes. Okay, Andre was a songwriter, right? Wonderful guy. He went to a barbecue one day, and when he went to the barbecue, he walks through the living room, sees a guy out on the deck. You've heard it before, but he sees a guy out on the deck. The guy has, at the cookout, Meat on the grill, barbecue sauce running. He's flipping over the stuff. The sauce is just running. And all of a sudden, a thought hit him, the sacrifice of Christ and the blood shed on the cross. And he began to write, it reaches to the highest mountain and it flows to the lowest valley, the blood that gives me strength from day to day. It will never lose it's power and goes out on the blood that Jesus once shed for me way back on Calvary the blood that gives me strength from day to day it'll never lose it's power isn't that powerful hallelujah for that Jesus reaching out to all of us Franklin Graham in his book The Name wrote an incredible story from the Bedouin culture, about two young guys. One was named Mohammed, the other was named Abdul. They were climbing on the hills, and Abdul and Mohammed were arguing, young guys. They were arguing. And Abdul reared back and he decked Mohammed. Mohammed fell and ultimately fell to his death. Now, in that culture, it is very black and white in his rulings. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, life for life. He knew his life was now in jeopardy. His friend that he had been arguing with, in a moment of rage, decked him. See the thought? He didn't get a hold of that. His thought went through and he acted on it. He decked him. Now what's he supposed to do? Because he still has life ahead of him. What are we supposed to do after we've done something? We still have life ahead of us. They had another rule. It's kind of an ancient rule in their culture. The rule was that you would run, and you would run to someone's home, and you would grab their tent peg outside of their tent, and you would plead for mercy, 
and protection from that person in that tent. He ran through the camp and he came to the place of a sheik, an older sheik. He grabs hold of the tent peg and he pleads and begs for mercy, screaming out. The old sheik comes out and grabs a tent pole rope and he says to the boy, I will protect you. Go into my tent. And he sends him in. The next day, some guys came to this tent, realizing this is where Abdul was hiding. And they said to the old man, they said to him, do you realize what he's done? He said, I know he's killed someone. They said, no, he didn't just kill someone. He killed your only son, your son. He grimaced a bit in his face and tears came up in his eyes. And he said, our law is what our law is. I've told him I will protect him. I am going to protect him. This boy will now be my son. This boy is now heir to all that I have. I will raise him as my own. Leave him alone. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is exactly what Christ has done for us. He came into the world and we didn't receive him. We nailed him to the cross. We rejected him, despised him, Isaiah 53 says. And the Lord God, he lays on Jesus the iniquity of us all. And the scripture says, all we like sheep have gone astray. Every one of us turned to our own way. But God in grace has reached us now. And in this moment, we realize what we have done. And we run to the cross and we grab hold of the cross and we say, God, I want you. I need you. Please forgive me. And you know what he says? Anyone who comes to the Father by me, I will in no wise cast out. Because the Bible says this very simple. Anyone can understand. You and I can understand this. Back your truck up and get a load of it. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins, and he will forgive us for all unrighteousness. So today, I encourage you not to just confess your sin, but to repent of it. It means to turn from it and say, God, I'm not going to do that again. So we don't have to keep going back and doing the same thing over and over again. Having the same miserable experience again. All we're doing is rinse, repeat, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Get dirty, rinse, repeat. All that. We don't want to do that. We want to be able to move away from it. And that's what the Holy Spirit can help us do. He can give us power to live a day-to-day -day life committed to God. Let's bow our head just for a moment. Our musicians will come. We're going to sing a closing song in a minute. But I don't want to rush to that yet. I just sense God was in this service in a, in a special way today, an unusual way, actually. And he wants to speak to us right now. So I invite you to bow your head, if you would. Father, right now, you are speaking to us through your Holy Spirit. And sometimes we talk about, oh, I feel uncomfortable when I go to church, or oh, I just, I feel so bad when I go to church. Lord, really, sometimes that is you speaking to us about something in our life you want to take care of. So when we go to the doctor, we sit there and say, I feel really bad when I'm here. I don't want to be here. No, we say, I feel bad. Can you help me? And Lord, if we're feeling bad right now in this moment or we're sensing something that might be a guilt awareness, I pray that you just help us to open our heart to you and acknowledge that and say, okay, there it is. And, and acknowledge the elephant in our heart. And just be true to what it is. And just say, Lord, here it is. Jesus, in the pattern prayer, you taught us to confess our sin and to forgive others. So we confess our sin to you 
and we forgive others. So help right now for any that might be confessing something out. And Lord, if there are some in the room today who would like to open their life to you, I pray that you would help them do just what John 3.16 says, to believe on you as Savior, to trust in you, and to open your heart. Acknowledge sin and separation and invite you in to forgive and be the Savior and be the Lord of their life. For what you're doing in this moment, we give you thanks. It's a holy moment. We sent you here in dealing. We pray you would honor your name and help us to walk out of here to be people that are never the same. Those online, everyone at every campus, in Jesus' holy name we pray today. Amen.